This afternoon, our text is the gospel as we summarize and confess it. In Lord's Day 16, question answer 44 of the Heidelberg Catechism, that's on page 531 in your book of praise. Lord's Day 16, question answer 44. And here the church summarizes and confesses the teaching of the Word of God in the following manner. Why is there added he descended into hell? In my greatest sorrows and temptations, I may be assured and comforted that my Lord Jesus Christ, by his unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony, which he endured throughout all his sufferings, but especially on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, why, why, why? The catechism keeps asking questions. Why? How? For what reason? And it's good that the catechism asks lots of questions. It is good for the children of God, believers, to ask lots of questions. God doesn't want us just to mindlessly parrot what we've heard from our parents, from our teachers, or even from the minister. God doesn't want us to just repeat things unthinkingly. We must ask the questions, and we ought not settle for pat answers. We shouldn't accept the answer because, because I said so, because that's the way we've always done things, because that's what we've always said. We need to demand answers from the Scriptures. Show me from the Word of God the only infallible rule for faith and life. And what we're doing here in Question Answer 44 of the Heidelberg Catechism is asking the question, why? Why is there added he descended into hell? For the better part of 2,000 years, the church Catholic has confessed this scriptural teaching. And at the same time, throughout the centuries, time after time, the question has been raised. What does the church exactly mean by these words? Why are these words here? Now, the Church of Rome and various other churches speak of the concept of the harrowing of hell. And this is an idea that when Jesus died on the cross, he went down to Sheol or to Hades, and he proclaimed his victory. And he took the saints, the souls of the Old Testament saints that had been waiting there in the underworld. And he said, look, I've done my work on the cross. I've opened up the way to heaven. Come with me. And he brought them from Sheol, from the underworld, into heaven. A very interesting idea, a very dramatic picture, but no biblical basis for it. In fact, the biblical evidence is against this idea of the harrowing of hell. And there are various evidences in the Scriptures for this. I'll mention just one, the Mount of Transfiguration, which is before the death of our Lord, 
You read about in Luke chapter 9, for instance. Jesus appears in his heavenly glory, and Moses and Elijah appear in glory with him. Now, we know about Elijah. We know that he went up to heaven in a chariot of fire. And we know about Moses that he died. And yet, here on the Mount of Transfiguration, with Christ displaying the glory of heaven, and together with him there are Moses and Elijah clothed in the glory of heaven, it's obvious from that, what's happening here, that Moses is not in the shadowy underworld, but he is with Elijah, clothed with heavenly glory. This is before the cross. This is before the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And then you think of what the Lord Jesus said of the cross itself. He said to the thief, the repentant thief, today you will be with me in paradise. And then he said at the end, with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so in the words of Christ on the cross, there's no idea of him going down in his spirit into the underworld. When his body died, his soul went up to God. And so what does this phrase in the creed mean then? Well, some say it just means dead and buried. Well, if it means, if descended into hell means that he, was, that he died and was buried, then it's a little bit repetitive, isn't it? Because he suffered under Pontius Pilate, he was crucified, dead and buried, he was dead and buried. That doesn't make sense if we're just repeating what has already been said. If that's the case, we may as well just get rid of the phrase. Now, the Reformed understanding of this phrase in the Creed is that it speaks of the totality of the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Presbyterian confessions emphasize the totality of his physical suffering. So the Westminster Standards speak of this phrase in the following manner. He continued in the state of the dead and under the power of death till the third day. And our continental Reformed confessions emphasize the other side of the same coin, the totality of the travail of his soul. Now the creed first confesses what Scripture teaches about what Christ endured in the sight of man. The creed confesses his humiliation, his physical suffering in every stage of his life, right up to the point where he suffered the wages of sin, the curse of God upon sinners, the separation of his body and soul in death, and the return of his body to the earth as he was buried. That is an act of uncreation. It's the opposite of what happened when Adam was drawn from the ground and the Spirit of God breathed into him. You see, that's what sin does. Sin perverts creation. Sin twists creation. And ultimately, sin seeks and results in the undoing of creation. And so the creed confesses what Christ endured in the sight of man. But there is more to Christ's suffering than this. Others have suffered. Others have been crucified. 
Others have died. Others have been buried. But only Christ in all these things descended into hell. The greater part of Christ's suffering could not be seen. And that's why the the movie, The Passion of Christ, is really a waste of time. Because all it can do is show the physical suffering and agony. But the phrase that we have in the creed, he descended into hell, sums up Christ's whole life of suffering, which came to a climax on the cross. There was unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony. And this is important for the church to know, to believe, and to confess. When we face pain, when we face anguish, when we are in agony, in all of our sorrows and temptations, we need to know this scriptural truth that Jesus Christ suffered hell. And he suffered hell for me. That is so important to know. Now, what is hell? Well, the Bible speaks about heaven as being up. The heights, glory, Christ in his glorified, resurrected body, he ascended into heaven, even at this moment, up there somewhere, is a physical place, because Christ, in his human nature, is in a physical place and time. And somewhere, probably in another dimension, there is Christ in heaven above. We get little hints from the Scriptures as to how that works. Stephen saw the heavens opened and Christ standing at the right hand of God, and he didn't have a telescope. He saw it up there. And so the biblical picture is that when you go up, you come closer to God, and when you go down, the lower and the further you go down, the further you are, the farther you are around, away from God. And so returning into the earth as your dead body is placed in the ground is movement away from God, away from light, away from life. And the biblical picture of the deepest Sheol and Hades, the bottomless pit, the lake of fire, Gehenna, the outermost darkness, these are all pictures of the horror of an existence far away from the presence of God's goodness and love. The biblical pictures of hell is the picture of only knowing God in his righteous, burning anger and judgment upon sin. That's hell. Now, there is a physical place, just like there's a physical place, heaven, where Elijah is and, and the Lord Jesus and Enoch and the souls of those who have died in, in Christ. There is also a physical place, hell. Jude speaks about it. Peter speaks about it in his second letter. 
about this place where the fallen angels are kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. And according to the biblical description, the lowest, the farthest from God is probably the center of the earth. And that's most likely where physically hell is. But what makes hell hell? It's not the location. It's what you experience in that location. God is light. Hell is the outermost darkness. God is life. Hell is the experience of never-ending death. God is love and communion. Hell is the experience of infinite hatred of others and of self, a black hole of separation and loneliness. What makes hell hell is that you are far from God in His grace, in His love, in His kindness. You only know God in His righteous anger. And what makes heaven heaven is that you are with God, and you know God, and you love God, and you are loved by Him. The psalmist speaks about that in Psalm 16. He says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the Old Testament, and the psalmist speaks of the joys of heaven in very, very beautiful terms, that it's to be close to God. And then you think of Psalm 73, where the psalmist, towards the end of Psalm 73, he says, whom have I in heaven but you? Whom have I in heaven but you? What makes heaven heaven is the presence of God and His grace and His love, His truth, His goodness and mercy. And then you look at verse 27 of Psalm 73. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. And so what makes heaven heaven and hell hell are not, is not in the first place the location, but it's what's happening there. And how close to God or far away from God you are. If, if God would move away from heaven, if he would abandon that physical location heaven, if he would descend into that physical location of hell and be there in all his glory with his mercy and grace and love, then heaven would be hell and hell would be heaven. It's not the location. It's how it connects you to the presence of God. Being far from God's presence is the depth of despair. It is infinite. It is eternal. It is never-ending pain of body and soul. The Bible, to drive home how much it hurts, describes it as being eternally plunged into liquid fire. And you know, you know that fire hurts, but that liquid fire if you're immersed in that, is the most intense way to suffer that hurt. Now, this is what Christ experienced. He experienced it all of his life, during his childhood and his ministry, increasingly the splatters of hell. 
And on the cross, he was plunged to the very bottom of it. We can hardly imagine the excruciating agony of his physical suffering in our place. The very word excruciating is derived, the etymology is derived from the word cross. It is the pain of the cross. It is agony. We can't imagine the dark, gaping abyss of horror, which was the agony of his soul. He suffered an eternity of eternities, an infinity of infinities, of the ultimate consequences of sin, separation from God. The Creator and the creation turned their backs on Him, abandoned by all. In the hours of darkness, He suffered hell alone. And he knew God only in his burning wrath and righteous judgment. That's what rung out of him that complaint, that cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the very essence of hell. Now, what comfort do we derive from our confession he descended into hell? When we suffer agony in body and soul, we have perspective. And sometimes we do suffer agony in our bodies. And sometimes we do suffer agony in our souls. Does it hurt? Yes, it does. Is it unbearable? Yes, it is. What do we do with pain? We meditate on the sufferings of Christ. God is giving you an opportunity to meditate upon what your Savior has done for you. And the more it hurts, the more you can understand. As we try to process that the depth of our suffering is like a pinprick compared to the agony that he suffered for us. And when we think about that, we think, Lord, why would you do that? Why would you choose that kind of pain? Why would you subject yourself to that agony, to that torture, to that anguish. Why, Lord Jesus, did you do it? And the answer is, I did it for love. I did it because I love you. I did it because I don't want you to suffer this torture forever. Now think about that. He did it for love. How much love is that? Now, the other day I was talking to some young people, and I said, you know, think of a car door. You ever slammed your hand in the car door? It hurts. And even if you had never have, you can imagine that it would hurt. Would you ever choose to do it on purpose? 
Would you ever say, hey, I've got my hand at the car door, slam the car door as hard as you can. You wouldn't ask anybody to do that. That would be insane. And the young people agreed with me. And then I asked them this. Would you do it to save the life of your mom? Yes. Well, why did you change your mind? Because I love my mom. You would go through worse pain than that for love. And so when we look at the pain, the suffering that our Lord Jesus Christ suffered for us, then we get to begin to understand just a little bit how much he loves us. He loves us, brothers and sisters, with an infinite love, with an eternal love. He loves us as he loves the Father. He loves us as the Father loves the Son. He loves us as Father and Son love the Spirit. He loves us with the love of God. And He held nothing back. He was willing to do whatever it took, whatever it cost, whatever it hurt, to love us. And then when we understand that, then we understand that when we suffer, because we do, when we suffer agony in body and soul, we know that these are not the signs of hell for us. When we suffer, we know that these are not signs that God has abandoned us, that these are not signs that He is withdrawing His love from us and only showing us His anger. Sometimes it feels like that. Sometimes we think, Lord, everything's going wrong and life hurts and it's getting worse and are you angry with me? Are you beating up on me, Lord? Because I've done something wrong. Sometimes we can feel that. But the gospel says, no, that's not true, my child. Because Christ took it all. He took all the judgment. He suffered all the separation. He took upon himself all the wrath. He experienced all the darkness of hell. And there is none left for you. There's none left. There's no abyss left. There's no pit of despair lurking ahead on the way of your life, waiting for you to be plunged into it. Christians cannot fall down. They can only fall up. Our sufferings are not curse upon sin. They are simply the consequences that we're still living in a broken, fallen world. For the Christian, our suffering is simply the birth pangs of a new world. And we pilgrimage forwards and upwards through our sufferings, every day moving closer to the day when we will enter into His presence and live with Him in eternal heavenly blessedness. And as we travel, the blessing of God is upon us. The peace of God is in our hearts. The everlasting arms of God are underneath us, lifting us up, carrying us through, and bringing us toward home. That is the gospel. Jesus descended into the very depth of the abyss, and now he is exalted to the very heights of glory 
and Christian in him. You are lifted up. You are exalted. You are glorified. And you are seated with him already now, even now, in the heavenly places. He descended into hell that we might ascend into heaven. That is the teaching of Scripture. That is the confession of the church. And that is the gospel that God sets before us in the word and the sacrament. So let us, to the praise of God the Father, sing, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Amen.